Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Maya, who is Chief uh, Business Officer of Lemonade. Um, Maya, how are you? Good. How are you? Happy to be here. Yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, no, I'm fine, thank you. Um, I think we were both just uh, swapping stories of gloomy cities that now have a small bit of sunshine. So, um, um, yeah, New York and London come to life in these times. So, uh, yeah, it's always a better time to catch me, I think, when there's a slither of sunshine in, in the world. Um, <laughs> um, so, I, look, I, I don't think Lemonade needs any introduction, but just for those kind of small section of people that do know and do not know who Lemonade are, it'd be wonderful if you could introduce yourself and obviously the Lemonade business. Sure, uh, with pleasure. Um, so um, Lemonade uh, was founded in 2015 um, as an insurance company, um, full stack insurance company, which a um, main purpose is really to try and change a lot of the dynamics and the experience that customers have when they interact with their insurance companies. So really consumer first, consumer centric, um, wanting to offer personalized insurance, starting with renters, homeowners, and then later on expanding into pet insurance, uh, life insurance, and then most recently car insurance, which really uh, completes the deck from a personal lines uh, perspective. We're also a digital first insurance company, um, meaning that we have built our entire tech stack in-house and have used that in order to not only provide a superior experience to our customers, having all of the digital foot points connected um, and powered by, by AI and really kind of making the experience much better, but also really building a robust data set infrastructure internally that allows us to gather a lot more insights and ability to eventually better price and underwrite customers um, when it comes to insurance. Amazing. Thank you. Um, I always think it's good to start there because I think, you know, Lemon is so publicly talked about when we talk about insurtechs. I asked ChatGBT, name the biggest insurtechs in the world. Lemonade came number one. That's <laughs> good to know. Obviously. I never tried that. That's good. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm very lazy on my research now. Um, no, it's um, it, it was one of the first things I toyed with. I got it to write an article and I think everything I've asked it so far has come back with, with Lemonade in it. So that's quite interesting. Wow. But wow. but obviously it is that, is it, you know, we've, we've talked about in the podcast before, what does the InsurTech even mean? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it's an insurance company. It's a digital first insurance company and it's a, it built its own tech stack. So it goes mm -hmm. that InsurTech bracket. But obviously mm -hmm. at its core, it's a, it's, a, it's a very much an insurance company. Um, mm -hmm. The new markets, I think, has been something that I've been watching because, you know, it came with a very specific renters product and, a, a, and phenomenal customer experience, which a lot of people have talked about. You've expanded into these new markets and product lines since founding. Just interested about the process of deciding which areas to enter and, and like what are your sort of criteria for success in those ventures? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I would say we're very much focused on in as I said in the in the beginning, and I kind of use that as the first sentence, is we are thinking in a very different way in terms of from a consumer centricity point of view. And we had the privilege of starting that as we were starting the company. And so when we launched Renters, which was very much a low-end disruption to the market, really targeting younger consumers who were looking for a much more tech-enabled experience, less talking on the phone, more enabling themselves, um, and really that combination of the experience together with 
the value as being a B Corp and the, of the pricing and the values that we, that we offer our customers really, really took off. But then those customers need more things when it comes to insurance. Um, and so as you're thinking about our business strategy, which is really about growing with our customers, making sure that we offer them additional products that they need and that they're asking from us, um, that serves dual, you know, dual value. One of them is our customers know to rely on and to expect the certain things that they've received from us on renters in other product lines that they're interested in. Uh, but on the other hand, that allows us to dramatically change the business economics because you acquire a customer at a very young age for relatively lower cost of acquisition. But then as they naturally go through their life cycle, so moving from renters into buying their first condo in New York or then buying their first home, um, they get a, they adopt a little dog like happened a lot during uh, COVID in the past few years. They need pet insurance for them and so on and so forth. And they get married, they need life insurance and so on and so forth. That really enables both the strategy of serving our customers and making sure that they have a complete offering of all the products that they need, but obviously also really serves our business, which is strategy, which is removing a lot of the cost of acquisition. All of a sudden, the same customer, which cost around $100 to acquire, all of a sudden is paying you five times, almost 10 times more when it comes to our car and homeowners products uh, without any additional cost of acquisition. Incredible. I mean, that that was going to lead me on actually to my new, my next question was about the approach to customer acquisition and retention. I think the retention strategy has always been quite clear in, in the, trying to offer that superior customer experience and whether that just be from the technology or or, or the products itself. Um, although that, that might be my outside looking in principle, but has your approach to customer acquisition and retention, has it evolved um, as the business has matured? I think it's really important to understand how Lemonade is structured. And I think then I can talk about the, the evolution of, you know, how did we go through from one step to another? And it has changed and evolved quite a bit. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, we have invested a lot in building and in kind of a, a centralized system, um, a unified system, what we call the customer cortex, um, that basically allows us to not only, you know, kind of categorize and gather the data and the different data points from customers and different data sources, but also adds a tonnage to them. So adds the connectivity between all of these data points. So think about everything around our customer profiles, our marketing, our growth budget, our underwriting, our onboarding from the product perspective, our claims experience, everything is operated under the same brain using similar connectivities. And so when you just started off, that, that looked pretty, you know, pretty, uh, pretty skinny when it comes to data and the level of data or the nuances of data sources that we actually had plugged into that system. But the more customers joined, the more interactions they had with the systems. And to be frank, when it comes to insurance, the more claims we experienced, meaning the closing of the data loop. So being able to take a customer all the way through from acquiring them through a certain channel, giving them a certain opinion, walking them through how they interact with the product, what types of tickets they're asking, how much interactions they have with our customer care. And then eventually, did they file a claim? And if so, how large was that claim? All of that basically helps us become better and smarter. Very different than I would say, and in, uh, in your podcast specializes in insurance. But if you think about other direct-to-consumer companies, 
really the only thing that you need to consider is the cost of acquisition and then the lifetime value in terms of the retention. And then also in terms of, you know, how much can you cross sell, upsell that customer uh, from the original, uh, from the original product that they purchased. When it comes to insurance, there's another big portion which uh, amounts to claims. Um, how much, what's the severity and the frequency in which we believe a certain customer is going to be claiming with us. And so when we just started our acquisition, we really looked at a very, very basic model. So S2S, which is spend over sale. So how much are we spending versus how much are we getting for that customer? And obviously you want to be spending as little as possible and getting a largest possible sale. But that was very rudimentary. It was very basic and included everything that we knew, which wasn't a lot when we started. Then that developed into kind of what we call deep S to S. So kind of, you know, another level removed, which included a little bit more of like the risk factors and things that we saw, for example, around Dunning or other things that, you know, included a little bit more nuance, a little bit more texture, but again, fairly simplistic. Then we moved into LTV. And even within the LTV model that we had, we're now approaching, edging generation eight. So um, I think generation one, two, three, were not even in production because we felt they weren't uh, sophisticated enough. LTV four came out, then we had LTV five and so on and so forth. And in every, every iteration, you become more nuanced and the, the differences between different cohorts becomes more identified and more clear. And what's really important to understand is that LTV, which you know basically is generated and informed from the from the customer cortex, and plans and instructs all of our different models and AIs that we have across Lemonade. So, if you come in, we have some sort of an opinion about you, and that determines how much we're willing to pay for you in certain channels. So, all the way from whether or not we're even going to be playing the game of trying to acquire you and then setting the bar of how much. And then when you start the flow with Lemonade, it, it changes the questions that we will ask you, the flow that you're gonna experience. Um, and then it will change, obviously, when we do our filings, it impacts a lot of our pricing and how we think about the distribution of risk. And then also impacts, of course, the uh, our cross-selling, offering you additional products and whatnot. So everything is informed under the same brain, which is dramatically different. Um, than how insurance is done today um, across the board with other with uh, with some of our competitors. It's um, I'd love to run a, a well, I can probably do it. I'll get the script, but um, but <laughs> I'm just loving how much customers is is mentioned, and 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 I know this is an oversimplification, but you know, it's everything's coming back to that. What does that customer need, and what do they need, and how does that need evolve over time? Because I think when I mean, the UK market is particularly price-driven and price-sensitive. Um, it fascinates me that the behaviour of insurance companies doesn't seem to take that LTV into account, um, which surely they should do. Uh, you know, just an anecdotal example. I have my car insurance with a unnamed insurer. <laughs> They've just sent me a renewal quote, just 30% higher, with no explanation as to why. Yeah. And the risk hasn't changed. Yeah. And I've just changed... I've just changed insurer like immediately like yeah. like it was like there wasn't there was no interaction there was no phone call it's like there's nothing to send so you just you've just lost a LTV because no, no one wants to change insurer you know it's mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. really yeah. <laughs> like so yeah you know, I haven't but met it, the person yet I haven't met the no, person no no but but I, I think insurance is guilty of not thinking like more uh 
B2C, you know, B2C businesses that look at LTV. And, and, and I just think there's an immaturity around that in personalized insurance. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah. that. And I think it's also the ability to connect the dots. Mm. Um, if you, again, and, and, and a lot of the, a lot of incumbents uh, in the industry, which we obviously have a, tons of respect for, you know, they know a lot, they know a lot about their customers. They know a lot about uh, where their customers are going. The problem is that a lot of those insights and data sources are kind of, you know, distributed across different platforms and different sets of brains that operate under different um, different mechanisms and different rationale. And so really what's, what I would say, what's novel about Lemonade and what we're trying to do is connect all that dots because all of these things are connected. Your LTV for you to renew your car policy, if you don't take into account that you might be also a homeowner or a renter and not to take into account, you know, your previous history or what we expect you to be doing in the next few years, and then offer you a combination of prices and products. That's really how you should be doing it. And then obviously optimize the flow for it and optimize the claims experience and your customer care experience and all of your touch points across with the different carrier. Mm. Um, I want to switch gears slightly and uh, well, in a similar vein, I think something that was really prominent in uh, the, the messaging when, when the business was, was more infancy was the social impact side of the business, which I know is still still mm -hmm. core to the message. Um, do you have a measure of how this kind of social impact message has, has impacted customer acquisition? Um, and and then sort of follow on from that. So, and, and I'm very guilty of stacking questions and then letting you run with it, but just to see where I'm going. I'm also was interested to see how that was impacted during maybe like the COVID lockdown time. Um, did people get more interested in social impact or less interested or, you know, I suppose um, yeah. and yeah. that drove customers? Yeah, uh, great question. I think I'll start with maybe from the, the onset. And I find myself talking uh, often to entrepreneurs who are very interested in, you know, adding that social element into their company. And it's it's no surprise. I mean, um, you know, 2000, I think, 18 study in the U.S. showed that um, 86% of U.S. consumers want companies to take stand on political and social issues, and 64% of them, I think, will will buy from a company that supports some sort of cause or has some sort of kind of a social uh, element in 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 their proposition. And so, this is something that is, I would say, um, that is a lot more top of mind for for companies today. And I think what was extremely unique about you know Shine Daniel's approach when it comes to Lemonade is that they they did it from the onset so from day one um you know giving back was part of the business model aligning interest with our customers was part of the business model we were a b corp um since we since we launched the company and um when you go and i don't know if all your viewers know this but as you buy a policy from lemonade part of the onboarding process is for you to choose a cause that is near and dear to your heart depending on your uh, kind of social give back preferences and then if there's money left at the end of the year for every person who chose that charity from that cohort, we give money back and donate it back to that charity. And that does two things. One, as I said, I think it speaks very clearly to, to our target demographic that, um, that this is something that they care about. And we see a lot of that in, in social mentions. And again, insurance, going back to not wanting to switch insurance it was, is not something that people have a lot of positive connotations when it comes to, especially when, you, when you're looking at social media. And we see a lot of social media mentions for Lemonade when it comes to kind of, you know, around Give Back Day or in general through the year, people kind of 
being very excited about the fact that they're able to choose a cause and that Lemonade cares about that. Um, but I think in more than that, we're also seeing some really surprising instances with interactions with our customers uh, when it comes to claims. Um, so beyond the social element, we've also built a model that really aligns interest, as I said, uh, where at the end of the day, if we didn't pay that money out in claims, then we will give that money back to charities. And so we see customers filing a claim for stolen goods, then finding or recovering some of them and then sending us checks back, which I can tell you, um, I, I didn't grow up in the insurance industry, but we have uh, uh, our share of uh, insurance kind of veterans on the claim side, and they've never seen uh, such a behavior of customers sending checks back to their insurance company. Um, but I think that's that. And I think what we want to do is get our customers to be thinking about insurance more as a social good versus a necessary evil, which I think more than more more than not, a lot of people kind of that's the game association that they the name association they play with when it comes to insurance. Yeah, I used to work in claims. I've certainly I don't think we received any checks back ever. So um, yeah, that, that is quite unusual. Um, I was just, I was actually running a moral argument about whether I'd do that myself <laughs> as well. I'd like to think I'm a good enough person that I would, but, um, but who knows what a moral quandary. Um, <laughs> I won't hold you to it. <laughs> um, looking ahead for, you know, the business is, is matured now, you know, publicly traded eight years in. Um, what do you see as some of the kind of like biggest sort of challenges or opportunities for Lemonade in the next kind of five years? And, um, yeah, what's the kind of a plan to address those? So I think we we spoke very, very deeply about this um, also during our investor day, which the company is going through a really major shift right now. Um, we've been very much heads down focused on launching all these products and this portfolio of products that our customers essentially asked us uh, in many ways, shape or form for us to offer it. A, because this is kind of, I would say, the way customers purchase a lot of these products today is bundled products, auto and home go together uh, when it comes to the U.S. market. But also because, you know, we felt like this is something that Lemonade can offer a superior experience to them um, for their insurance needs. Um, so really, the shift that we're going through now is how do we get all these products to work together? We're now at a very, very modest uh, integration when it comes to what we measure as MLP, which is a multi-line product percentage of our book. We're at a, you know, around you know three percent. I think when we when we presented that number has grown a little bit, but the best in class when you look at the insurance industry in the U.S. is around sixty percent. So more than you know twenty times our starting point, and so we have a lot of room to grow, and that's really where you kind of, you know, you change the entire economics. If you look at our average policy value for our customer, it's around the average of like $350. We have some customers, by the way, who pay us, you know, in north of $10,000 already today because we've built this suite of products, but that's definitely not the majority. That's definitely not the, the average, but that shows that we have the capability to sell multiple products, to sell, to offer you additional services, which, as I said before, changes changes our business completely, but we need to start driving that number up. I think the US average is around 3000. So if you think about that, it's almost 10 times more where we are. Um, and so I think it's really about, there's nothing here that is extremely complicated or hasn't been done before. And I do believe that, you know, Lemonade will be able to do that in a, in a different effective way to kind of get customers onboarded into additional products and 
the first thing is just availability to make ourselves available in you know, other states and make sure that customers have the ability to purchase more products from us. But once we unlock that and invest in the experience of who, what do you offer to which person at what time, right? I mean, I think that goes back to your experience of, you know, I've had my renewal, price goes up, no communication. Like you want every one of these touch points to be extremely customized and thoughtful in terms of how do you do these things? What do you offer different customers? And how do you make sure that you're kind of increasing and building trust so that that customer will stay with you for longer and will buy more products from you um, along the way? I think that's really kind of the, the main focus for us for us as a company. Yeah, the connecting the dots bit really resonates as well because, you know, we just, regardless of being a podcaster or be a, you know, running a, a recruitment firm, specifically insurance, having worked in insurance, I'm still fascinated by being a buyer of insurance because, you know, I've been doing the insurtech space and from a recruitment standpoint for five years, I've been doing this podcast for nearly three and we talk about a lot of the same things about customer, customer journey, getting the kind of information right at the right time. And I'm fascinated by how challenging that appears to be because, you know, I've, <laughs> I'm, I'm usually moaning on here about my uh, insurance renewal or my experience with my health insurance or my experience as a homeowner, a homeowner and buying that insurance or a small business owner. And it's all really about the... Um, how anonymous you're treated as a customer most of the time. And you think I'm all of these things and I buy all of these things together and, and the ability to kind of tie those together. But really it's clearly about communication because um, making the point about my car insurance, they're still emailing me every month, thanking me for being a customer. I'm like, I'm not a customer anymore. And the fact that even your marketing doesn't know that is fascinating to me. So, you know, I think your ability to clearly knit those things together once you've now got a suite of products is very exciting. Um, One of the interesting things that I read lately is that the United's loyalty, uh, basically business, is valued higher than United Airlines themselves. And I think that goes to show that if if you're able to connect with customers and you're able to customize, as you said, and make it not uh, anonymous in terms of the interactions that you have and make it deeper, um, I think that's real. But it's, it's, really hard. I mean, I do have to say, um, mm-hmm. looking at some of, you know, the, and again, Lemonade is not short of disadvantages in terms of the, our time in the street and, and data. And we're still, I think, in many ways, we have we have ways to go on, on many fronts. But I do think that that advantage of having one system that's connected and not having to go, I mean, some of our competitors in the US have been around for more than 100 years. Mm-hmm. They've kind of, you know, gathered different systems, acquired, you know, grew through acquisition. Each acquisition requires, you know, different systems that interact. And a lot of these systems are basically managed by third-party operators. And it's it's difficult. Um, so it's a, um, I, I, think, I think it's not without cause that a lot of these things are, are not as connected as we would like them to be. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I mean, yeah, we've talked about before on the podcast is a lot of the, sort of more established longer term insurers have have almost like different different engineering and tech teams as well because it's as much about maintenance and and sewing together you know some quite outdated tech stacks and just keeping them alive let alone looking at kind of innovation so there's a there's a tech debt there um i was just going to actually ask you this and this is something that i didn't ask ahead of time was talking about the tech stack you 
you know you built the the your internal tech stack yourselves because eight years ago it probably didn't exist um i wonder if there's a reflection internally now that because the insure tech communities evolved and and some of the kind of b2b SaaS businesses that, that are around um are you augmenting now by uh, do you look at external tech and tech partnerships now that in a way that you probably wouldn't have done previously I think we've done that from day one. We've never been obsessed about owning and developing everything in house. I would say it's not the Apple approach of it, yeah. it has to be it has to be lemonade on every single tech that we put. We every time we develop something, we look and make sure that it, this is the best in class. This is the most cutting edge. And we have many examples where we felt like there's better tech outside and integrated. But what's really powerful, and that's I think moving forward, we probably are going to talk about ChatGPT and where the AI world is going now, but building that infrastructure the way we've built it allows us to much quickly, much more quicker and much easier to connect to these different tools and integrate them and kind of get value out of them in, in a much more effective way. Um, because you don't have to, you know, kind of try to connect it to these different systems and then different codes and you get immediate value. So the moment you plug it into our system, which was already native to API, able to connect it. So that puts you in a completely different place. When we started Lemonade, we looked at many different solutions for um, what we ended up calling Blender, which is basically our system for managing our, our customers. We looked at many other solutions and one of the, we had two main issues beyond the, the cost, which was, uh, which, was, which was pretty astronomical. I think that the, we had two issues. One of them was it wasn't as agile as we wanted it to be. So it, it wasn't able to connect different things from security issues and other things, which you know are are you know, and IP issues when you know when you're when your business is selling software, you want to make sure nobody's copywriting it and you have concerns that are irrelevant when you build things in-house. And I would say the second thing is that the ability to change things. So we change our internal system, you know, multiple times a week. Uh, in order to fit the changing requirements, either from our customers, from internal reasons, efficiency and whatnot. And if we had to rely on someone else to do each and every beyond the cost associated with it, it would just take so much time and would make us move much slower. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, as part of our research, and, and, and some people have surprised me doing research, but we really do. Um, <laughs> um, and we were talking to your team ahead of time. One thing that we didn't know was, um, and it seems obvious now, that you have a, you have a chatbot named after you. Um, so the, the Lemonade chatbot is it's called Maya. Yes, How did that yes. come about? <laughs> and, and is that the ultimate staff <laughs> retentions tool? Naming uh, a bot after you, it's, it's, it makes you pretty sticky. <laughs> I would say a few things. First, this is, it's, it's a really, really good fun fact for like, you know, cocktail parties, mainly with insurance people. Um, not, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> only there it becomes, you know, like interesting and exciting. Um, yeah. And I always give the disclaimer, especially when I'm meeting new employees, that the bot is much nicer than I am. So that people... You know, <laughs> Stations. Um, but I think that the more interesting, you know, a, the more interesting, I would say, point on that is really the philosophy and thought process that Chai, uh, one of our CEOs, our co-CEOs really had when he's thinking about AI. A lot of the voices that you hear today have, you know, kind of the super optimistic or pessimistic, I don't know which, you know, which band you belong to, on where this revolution is going to take us. 
Um, and I think Shai's point of view has always been that AI should be looked at as an extension um, to, to humans and almost as an exoskeleton to our team and adding it where it makes sense and then removing it and moving to a human where it doesn't. And I, I always offer like simple examples where you know, say that you you want Alex to kind of, you know, just add your your uh, significant other to your policy, or you want to change your address, or you just want to change some of your coverages. Most times you really don't want to talk to anyone on the phone. You know what you're doing. You want to be done with it. There's really no need to do it, you know, on the phone. And if you could do that with a chat, you know, that would give you a lot more satisfaction. And we're seeing that, by the way, with the reviews, when we look at these types of tasks with people who talk to our customer representatives or um, kind of self-serve themselves, the reviews for our chatbot are much higher, uh, which means it's just, this was made for that. Um, but if your house, God forbid, burned down or your pipe got burst, like last thing you want is chatting to Maya. Like that's the last thing you want. You want someone to talk to you over the phone, walk you through the process, make sure that you understand that you're being, um, you're being covered and that you know everything that you need to do in order to be completely refunded with everything you need to, uh, to make you whole again. Um, and then I think really what happens when you use AI in a, in a smart way, um, and you use it in, in the right places, then you take off a lot of the load from your customer care team and your claims team, and you enable them to really spend their time in the right places with the right empathy, you know, dealing with more complicated situations. And so using an employee uh, to represent our AI really is the manifestation of that philosophy of, you know, we have a person at Lemonade that works out. We're not replacing humans. We're extending and expanding their exoskeleton to allow them to handle more things. Yeah, I, no, and, I, and I'm in the pro camp and and, and I, I echo that sentiment so strongly. I mean, I, funnily enough, I put a post out on LinkedIn today mm -hmm. discussing exactly that. Well, the first thing I was doing was mocking all of my uh, wonderful <laughs> re recruitment, recruitment and marketing professionals uh, out there. That always yeah, who, well. yeah, everyone's <laughs> now got really long posts every day that are really well structured and, and laid out. And I thought, well, yeah, that's great, yeah, but yeah. but then it then it then it raised the the raised an interesting question. I was talking to a law firm this this week, and we were discussing about that's been highlighted as one of the um, businesses and industries that might be under threat. Um, along with marketing, along with kind of copywriting. Um, and we both said the same conclusion. Recruitment's been put in that bucket as well. Um, but I, I feel like I've been told my role is going to be redundant every year I've been in this for, for 17 years. But what I would reflect on is, is exactly that. My role looks nothing like it did 17 right. years ago. Right. It was about my right. networks. It was about meeting people face to face. It was about building literally that sort of almost that classic black book. Now it's about we we have quite a sophisticated tech stack we we have like most businesses we've embraced ai and and so what do we do that for we help clients write marketing materials with that we we help clients uh you know write job specifications with that we we can use it to produce content for ourselves and and i suspect as it gets more sophisticated we will use it to find candidates and and of course there are tools out there already recruitment is a perfect example where if you're going to make a big life decision, like where am I going to go work? And yep. I'm, you you want to talk to a human, like yep. you, you, even if it's even even if it's only at the kind of interview stage. That I don't, mm -hmm. we're not going to bypass that. So the idea that we would in 
claim situations and uh, legal situations like if I'm going to court I do not want to roll out chat GBT and that, you know, like, like, I like but the maybe, idea of it. But yeah. Maybe some of the prep for that, you know, exactly. for that is not. So I think it, it's really about understanding, as I said, like, what are those points? So if you even think about insurance as a whole, right, like insurance is such a, you know, requires such super intense ingestion of so many data points um, in terms of the, even when you, when you file a claim, think about all the files, all of the different reports that you need to, to gather together. When you talk about filing, when you talk about pricing, these are huge efforts. And uh, when you need to do competitive research around your filing and all of those things, there's so many areas where you can literally make your pricing your actuarial team, you can just make them into superhumans and reduce all of the work that they need to do around the data gathering and all the places where human error is, <laughs> is, is in abundance and reduce all of that in order to give them the perfect tools in order to think about things more strategically um, and be able to be a lot more effective and efficient in their role. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think I, I hate all this sort of doom mongering around it because it's, it's you know, again when we come back to people what do people want to do meaningful work what do they not want to do admin that could be better served by technology doing so um yeah i'm a i'm a huge proponent of it um although i'll check back in five years if i've been completely replaced <laughs> and i'm or just not. i'm or a not. recruitment prompt king or something um but that's that's fine um I wanted to jump ahead because I, I was going to talk about the erosion of competitive advantage um, about AI because I, I suppose that is an interesting point. I think one of the benefits of being mm -hmm. a business that's evolved its own tech, including kind of some artificial intelligence um, uh, tools, because the big thing people have done is rushed out and use things like ChatGPT, and we've already seen Samsung's engineers putting you know patented data on there. It's not. It's yeah. not protected and it yeah. needs to be. Yeah. And therefore it, it's not as simplified as going, oh, we'll just adopt that because you're in a regulated market. Exactly. So your competitive answers, I, I imagine still remains very strong because you've built some of that stuff in house. Do you think that's where the arms race will be is, is to actually kind of actually adopt these practically in house? Look, I think we're, we don't know yet where exactly all of the implications of these new technologies that are coming in. I can say that this was something that as Lemonade, we expected to happen. Um, this is not surprising to us. We knew that the next revolution when it comes to insurance, but also other industries is going to be around AI. Um, and it's been, a, it's been a while where the, the real talent around um, AI and data science has left, I would say a lot of the insurance companies and most of it is sitting in tech companies. And so this is something that I would think Daniel spoke about from the day that Lemonade was founded. And a lot of what I talked about before in terms of how we've set up our system was waiting for this uh, to happen and, uh, and kind of being prepared for it. Um, so when you think about these new tools that are coming out, they, they have to be interacting with something. Uh, they, need, they need certain logics, they need data sets to connect to, they need the, the ability to connect to these data sets, they need the ability to connect to certain logic. And when we built Lemonade from day one, we said, we want to make sure that everything we built does, first of all, as I said, is connected, but also, you know, follows similar logic, follows similar models and everything, you know, is connected to that same system. And so whatever tool comes in, again, given all the regulation and safety and, you know, protecting our customers, but as you plug it in, it's much easier to connect it to a holistic system versus, you know, 
trying to figure it out. I, I think eventually everyone is going to be using these tools. I don't see a way other than that, especially in an industry, the data and data sets is, I would say that's the product. That's what yeah. we're selling. Yeah. We're selling the ability to price customers according to data and the risk that they represent. We're not selling toasters. So using AI and using kind of the revolution that's happening right now with data consumption and analysis and customization, that's this, this industry was built to, um, you know, to take full advantage of it. And now the question is, are you set up as a business to make the most out of it? Or do you need to kind of change a lot of the architecture in order to be able to plug it in? Yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that native inbuilt, um, acceptance of change. Um, I wanted to talk about that as well, because I, I don't think, you know, you know, innovation in tech is one thing, innovation in culture and people is is, is probably the thing that really drives that from a business perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been with Lemonade since the, you know, the eight year window that you've been around, there's been, there was huge growth, like big investment rounds, IPO, post IPO yeah. uh, challenges. Like how does Lemonade maintain like this really strong tent to culture and employee brand through it's such a dynamic period of time? So I think it's, it, it goes to two things. First of all, think about maybe about yourself. Um, I think when you, you know, when you're thinking about joining a company, a lot of the things that drive you is the mission of that company. And then for the for the employees that we bring, going back to the question about the, the values and the B Corp and the give back, a lot of our employees come to us because we're a B Corp and they actually search for jobs you know, looking through the B Corp portal and finding us that way. Um, and so I think the fact that you're part of a company that is disrupting an industry that has a really, really big goal ahead, as opposed to have already achieved and now is optimizing, it's a lot more exciting. It attracts a certain amount, you know, certain type of talent. And I think, you know, we have a really long way to go. We're just getting started. And so I think that's that has been extremely helpful for us to really get the best of the best um, in a lot of the areas that we're hiring for. Um, I would say the second thing is that we've, we've done a huge restructuring of, of, uh, of ourselves as a company over the time. We keep changing our structure. We're currently at a structure that has, I would you know if I'm not too familiar with it, with squads and tribes and companies that uh, basically allows for um, a relatively small group of people to work on specific problems. You have all the different functions that you need as opposed to a centralized function group that supports different businesses. So all of the relevant functions sit together to solve the problems that are uh, specific to the business and that they're working on, um, which allows for a lot of agility, which allows for them to move much quicker and also feel a sense of ownership that I think really um, you lose a lot of that as you grow as an organization. And that really has allowed us to keep that, that vibe of accountability and every person kind of, you know, starting something and finishing it and signing off their name on everything they do. Um, as I, we've been very thoughtful about it. I don't know if this structure will, you know, survive uh, or how much time more it will survive. I think we continuously look at, you know, how we're structures and make sure that we're as effective and that our employees is as motivated as we, you know, as we want them to be. I think um, circling back to this sort of um, use of artificial intelligence, one of the conversations I had about talent this week as well was 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 actually hiring people on their ability basically like raw obviously raw talent raw intellect but then essentially the ability to accept change and, and work in a dynamic environment um and then as a you know of course you need subject matter expertise yeah. but how valuable is that is going to be in the future and continue mm-hmm. to be valuable 
as opposed to people that can deliver and, and are smart and and and, and can and can Changing. adopt to change. Yeah. Um, yeah, particularly in super fast growing businesses like 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 yours. And I think it's it's almost like the question of uh, are you an above or below average driver? Where every person will say they're above. I think most people will <laughs> self-attest that they're, you know, that they're really good with change. Where I think obviously we're split, um, like with everything else. And so that is one of the main things when I interview candidates that I that I test for. Um, and I ask a lot of deep questions around, you know, the ability to adapt to change and you know previous behaviors around change. And so I think that's because Lemonade, more than I would say even our peers in the industry, it constantly evolves and constantly changes because of the, you know, the, the different, the way we're structured and how small we are compared to our competitors. And so that is extremely important. Couldn't agree mm. more. Yeah, wonderful. Well, I'm, uh, I, I think we're, we're approached the time and um, I love, for a guy that runs a recruitment <laughs> company, it's nice to finish on a talent-based question. So I'm going to leave it there. But um uh, Maya, I just want to confirm that I've not been talking to a, an AI-generated chatbot. No, and, no, this is, this is still me. Maybe next year. No, this yeah, is yeah. Me. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if we could do one like that? That'd be brilliant. It'd be like the, um, the Aber ex ex she exhibition. She will be nice. Bet I can find. <laughs> um, Maya, I can't thank you enough. I know you're really busy. So thank you so much for finding thank the time. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Same here. Have a good day. Thanks.